Before I preach this morning, I want us to look at a short, it's a 59-second, actually, video from Ukraine. So, as you guys, some of you might be visiting, you don't know, Pastor Paul and Christine, our newest staff members, um, have just left Ukraine. They lived in Ukraine for the last 20 years, did not know a war was breaking out, came on staff a couple months back, war has broke out, they have all, they pastor the International Church in Kiev, um, they have all these friends there, um, they were over multiple churches, all those pastors, um, story one of those pastors, if somebody's a God church planting pastor, a six-year-old kid was, son was killed this last week in the fighting, was shot as they were fleeing, uh, so one of our pastors, kids, this is real life stuff, and so because of other connections there, we are trying to funnel resources in there. And, and we can do it. So we're doing it through Convoy of Hope, which is an aid organization, huge aid organization through the Assemblies of God. They are en route. Um, so we're going to be giving money to them. Um, that's outside the country. But because of their, the um, PRK's contacts in Kiev or in Ukraine, they have different ministers and pastors that they know that are setting up relief stations, basically, to do a couple things, to, to, to resource the people who are there, um, that most of many of them, 1.5 million have fled the country, so the, the refugees going, they're leaving with a suitcase or a backpack, they have nothing, and so um, to give them food and water and shelter, and also to feed the soldiers. If you're a, a male in Ukraine, 16 to 60, you're not allowed to leave, you're sending your family off. Maybe you've probably seen some of the videos of just sobbing fathers and husbands sending their family off, saying, I might never see my child and my mother or my wife again. But the men, having them fight. And so they're simply giving them guns and, you know, they're not even soldiers and having them fight. Um, and they, have no, they don't have food. And so um, because of some of their contacts, we have found ways to get money um, into Poland and then from Poland into Ukraine on the ground, and we did our first wire transfer to see if it would work. We did just $1,000 to see because we, they, they need more. We wanted to make sure it didn't get just lost in the transfer or robbed, and it didn't. It made it there, um, the first $1,000, so we're going to be doing more this week, and if you want to give directly to, to this Ukrainian um, relief um, through our Kingdom Builders ministry, you can just write a check uh, send it to the church, bring it by the church, give it today, just write Ukraine on it, and we'll sh- we will get that in there. And we're going to do it bit by bit so it doesn't get confiscated some other way. We're going to do our best to be safe with it. But this is one of the pastors. This is the pastor we sent $1,000 to this week. And we asked him if he could just make a video to show us what he's doing with these funds. So let's play this short video this morning. Hello, Portview Church. Thank you for your help. We remodeled our basement for refugees and for those who need shelter for some time while they are going to escape from the war in Ukraine. So some people will be sleeping here. We have a few rooms, another room for seven or more people, and one more room here. Everything is prepared. So table for dinners, and also we prepared kitchen, everything what we need to feed these people. Every night we are able to have about 30 refugees here, 30 people, and I hope that God will save us and give us possibility. Thank you very much. Many blessings to you. So that's one of the places that... um, 
well, that is the place we said $1,000. $1,000 is, what is it, for feed 30 people and prices are crazy. Um, but they're able, then it was one of our questions, can they actually buy food? And they are, if they have money, um, they, they are able to do it. One of the pastors there, what we're doing is giving money to, and he's able to take it and put it on, like, debit cards. And then the debit cards, they can give that money out to other, they can transfer from card to card, and they're just doing $100 per refugee family just to be able to buy stuff. They said once they cross the border, into Poland's receiving most of them, um, that the Polish people literally are greeting them. They open their car windows up, they have a car walking, and they're handing them food. They go to the gas pumps. The gas pumps are free if they have a car. Fill up your car. Host hells are free if you, if you have a Ukrainian license plate, that the, the other countries are receiving them in mass, but that can only happen for a short time. And so we know there's going to be a massive humanitarian need. The other next step and some of you have already talked to us about it, primarily Pastor Paul, is we said, once these people, the refugees start getting refugee status for the United States, they will be flying over here. And we are going to try to receive, especially the ones that the PRKs already know that are looking for a place to go. And so some of you have said your homes would be open um, to them. And so be thinking and praying about that. If God wants you to open up a bedroom and say, we'll house a family for a period of time until they get whatever government housing, however it's going to work in the United States. Um, but there's millions of them. And so we want to we do the part that God is asking us to do, to do that. So if you want to um, contribute to that need, um, just mark it clearly on an envelope or talk to us. And um, 100% of that, we will funnel, and we're doing our best to funnel it in ways that is secure. Okay? Long enough explanation of that? We're going to have a... I'm supposed to be done preaching in a few minutes. I haven't started yet. So uh, that's all right, right? It's okay to just experience the Lord this morning. It's raining out. There's nothing else to do. It's like miserable. There's nothing you want to do. There's no football on. There's, there's not going to be baseball starting. So you have to think about spring training. So, so there's nothing better to do than be in the word of the Lord. Well, we're starting this week um, a, a little mini-series. and actually the third year in a row we've done it. Done it. And what we're doing is I'm going to take four weeks. And actually I'll do three. Pastor Paul will do one. Four weeks to look at some of the people whose lives have become, they lived lives in such a way, positive or negatively, in church history, um, that they act as pillars upon which we build our lives on. Theological understanding. Last year, we looked at people like Augustine, you know, from the 4th century, who, who was the doctor of the church. What we do is we take uh, much of what we understand about Christianity was fleshed out by Augustine. Well, so what we do is we take an Old Testament character, a church history character from kind of old ancient church history, then a New Testament character, and then a more modern church history character. And look at how what they did affects us and how should that affect, how do we live out our Christian lives? It shows what it does and what can we learn from them so we live out our Christian lives um, properly. So today we're going to start with the Old Testament. And the person we're going to look at today um, is King Solomon. You might think, well, how is he a pillar? We're going to see he he's, actually is a pillar we build our lives on and how we understand our, our walk with the Lord. And some of it for some of the good things, but most of it for some of the bad things. Kind of the things that, that we can learn from his life that didn't turn out great for King Solomon. Um, so if we think about the people who have influenced what we know to, be, uh, to, to, be Christ, to live our Christian life, surely Solomon was one that's really influential. Um, through his writings, um, we, we, write, we read them in the Bible, we'll talk about that in a little while, we read them, but also 
the story of his life recorded in Scripture. And the wonderful thing about Scripture is, Scripture doesn't ever paint false, kind pictures of people. It shows the reality of people, and it shows that like, pretty much everybody's messed, is messed up. And that's one thing really good, because it encourages us to say, okay, I messed up too, that's okay, God still loves me. Um, but Solomon messed up in some really big ways. And those big ways, um, we can avoid those big mistakes. And that's one of the reasons they're recorded in Scripture. So we can say, I don't want to end up like Solomon. And so some of the things we're going to look at today. So let's just think about, in case maybe you don't know much about King Solomon from the Old Testament, um, you probably have some idea. Um, but uh, let's just give you a little couple-minute thumbnail sketch of who King Solomon was. First of all, he was the son of King David. And so a lot of us know King David because of the Psalms and all the stories about King David, the warrior and the worshiper. Um, he was the son of King David and Bathsheba, and you know, that, that Bathsheba, the Bathsheba we talked about a few weeks ago, um, that David, honestly, um, he took her by force and, and got her pregnant and killed her husband and then made her his wife. You know, back in that day, that was considered, the king could just do that. Although the prophet didn't agree with it, right? And Nathan the prophet condemned him for it. But that's, that's who um, was his dad and his mom. So Solomon unlike his father David, remember David was a shepherd boy who became a king? Solomon was raised in royalty. He was raised with dad being king. Um, and although he wasn't the oldest son, which would generally be the king to follow with the oldest son, he wasn't the oldest, but he was the one that God spoke to King David about, that he would become the next king of Israel. And he became the king of Israel at, at the apex, the climax of Israel's power and prominence. So he ruled what we know to be called the unified Israel. The only time unified, so Israel has 12 tribes, the 12 sons, and the 12 tribes, and um, the, in almost all you read in the Old Testament, they're divided. They're divided to north and south. But he ruled in the time, David unified the 12 tribes, and he ruled the unified Israel, ruled over all of the 12 tribes. And whereas David, his father, was a warrior, and remember David, remember David wanted to build a temple for the Lord? But the Lord said, you can't do that because you have blood on your hands. And he said, you're a warrior, but your son will do it. And Solomon becomes king, and he brought Israel from this warrior nation that had expanded and unified its 12 tribes to being the place of its greatest prominence and glory. And do you remember what the most important thing and the first thing that Solomon accomplished was when he became king? He built the temple. So when you watch Indiana Jones movies, and they're looking for the, the ark, and they're talking about the temple, and they always saw different things. They're talking about Solomon's temple. Solomon built Solomon's temple, this massive temple to the worship of God, took seven years to build, and it became the central focus of the life of all of Israel and the rest of the world looked to the, the glory of Israel at the temple. So he built the temple, and he turned Israel into the most magnificent place on earth at its time. And here is probably the most important thing to know about Solomon as he did all this. It was that he was only able to accomplish what he accomplished because God himself gave Solomon a look at what does God say that he needed to accomplish everything he did. And that's where we want to start today. We want to look at what does God say about that. So grab your Bible and open up to the book of 1 Kings in the Old Testament. Power up your phone. 
John sent a, 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 a meme this week on Facebook to me, and it was out there, of a, something that if you had an actual Bible, you looked like the Little House on the Prairie family, that you actually still had a real Bible. And I said, well, then bring on the glory days, John, because um, I, like I like having the paper version. But we're going to start in 1 Kings chapter 3, and we're going to look at King Solomon. Chapter 3, starting in verse 3, and we'll read all the way to verse 13. It says, Now Solomon loved the Lord, walking in his statutes of his father David, except he sacrificed and burnt incense on the high places. The king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place, and Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on the altar. In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream that night, and God said, Ask what you wish me to give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great loving kindness to your servant David, my father, according, according as he walked before you in truth and righteousness and uprightness of heart towards you. And you have reserved for him this great, this great loving kindness that you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, yet I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or to come in. Your servant is, to, is in the midst of your people, which you have chosen, a great people who are too many to be numbered or counted. So give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, to discern between good and evil, for who is able to judge this great people of yours? It was pleasing in the sight of the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. And God said to him, because you have asked this thing and have not asked for yourself long life, nor have you asked riches for yourself, nor have you asked for the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself a discernment to understand justice, behold, I have done according to your words. Behold, I have given you a wise and discerning heart so that there has been no one like you before, nor shall there be one like rise after you as I also have given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there will not be any among the kings like you all of your days. So Solomon becomes king at the young age of about 15, and God says an amazing thing to him. He says, ask me for anything. And what Solomon asked for? He says, give me wisdom. Now he says, that's, he asked for an understanding heart to judge the people of God. So God is so pleased that he not only gives him wisdom that is greater than anyone else on earth, but he also gives him riches and honor beyond what anybody else of his time and maybe of all time has ever achieved. So Solomon rules as king and the kingdom is unified and it's blessed. And even the kings and the rulers from other nations come to see Solomon and just listen to him talk and see the splendor of Israel and just find out, learn from his wisdom. And while he's king, Solomon begins to write, it says, thousands of proverbs and songs that reveal the wisdom that God has given him. And as he writes that, he writes three documents that become three books of our Old Testament. He writes the Song of Solomon, he writes Proverbs, and he writes the book of Ecclesiastes. And scholars believe that that's the order that Solomon wrote them, and it's kind of really important, and it reveals something that he wrote Song of Solomon first. Anybody ever read Song of Solomon? It's kind of the book that, does anybody, you all need to read it, you know. Uh, 
it's, it's pretty risque. Um, it's a book about his love affair with his Shulamite bride. And you kind of get the idea they're not married yet. And you don't know what's going on. It's pretty graphic about their love affair. And the scholars believe he wrote that in his younger, younger days of his life because it was all about love and passion. And then he wrote the book of Proverbs, which you want a great spiritual practice. There's 31 Proverbs. Read a proverb every day. It's wisdom. It says right in the Proverbs, it's wisdom written from a father, Solomon, to his son on how to live a godly life. So every day, Proverbs 3. And days in a month, read if it's the 15th, read Proverbs 15th. If it's the 3rd, read Proverbs 3. And so today, read Proverbs 6. And you gain the wisdom of Solomon. And so the Proverbs uh, were most likely written in his middle years when scholars believe he really applied this great wisdom that God has given him. But then, in his later years, he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. And I hope you've read Ecclesiastes. And if you've not, I'm hoping after today you'll read Song of Solomon, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes. Um, and Ecclesiastes is when he's older and he's examining the life that he's lived and he comes to some pretty hard conclusions and some regrets in his life. You see, Solomon, we read it, that's why we read what he did, he started out really well. It says he followed God in all his ways except he burnt in the high places. The temple wasn't built yet. And he followed God and walked in his wisdom. But in time, he began to drift away from God, and his life ended up pretty empty. And that's what, song, that's what the book of Ecclesiastes deals with. So that's kind of this overview of the life of King Solomon. And we could stop right there and go, oh yeah, he's a pretty interesting guy. But here's the deal. We don't want to just look at him as an interesting guy. We want to say, what can we learn from these people that are pillars, why would we choose him as a pillar to say he's somebody that literally the, that we build upon, that holds up the roof of our life, of our understanding of Christianity? Because as we look kind of beneath this, this thumbnail sketch of him, there are so many things that we can learn from his life that can help us in our everyday lives. And they're big things. They're like life-changing um, of life structuring kind of ideas that say, how do I want to end up in 30 years and in 40 years? How do I want to end up? How do I want to live my life today? And that's a gift that we get from Solomon, that we can build our lives upon these ideas and these principles that we pull out from Solomon, and we can see what can we avoid by looking at the life of Solomon. So let's pull out some of these things. We'll actually pull out three of them today. And... Um, the first one is this, that looking at the big picture of Solomon, and it's this. And this is a tough one for Ozaki County people. It's a tough one for us. I think I said it last week. I honestly believe the challenge we have is we live in the best you know, biblical description. We live in Laodicea. We're a bunch of people who are rich and well-fed and in need of nothing. And so we don't understand what it's like to be living in a bomb shelter in a, in a subway or in a basement because bombs are falling on our house and we don't have food and water. And, and I don't know if you read this, the Ukrainians were so happy they felt like the blessing of the Lord because it snowed two days ago. Because it snowed, they could gather the snow and melt it for water. They were thanking the Lord that it snowed. They have no heat, they have no electricity, but they're thanking God for snow because they actually could melt it and have water. You know, we don't know what it's like to live like that. Um, so it's, we live in a tough place. So this first one is the tough place, meaning it's, it's the easy place and it's, a, it's easily to get distracted and go the wrong directions. So the first thing we learn from Solomon is this, that nothing gained or accomplished in this life can give you satisfaction or fulfillment. 
that nothing gained or accomplished in this life, and this sounds a little frustrating, a little de- dejecting, but let's hear it out here. Nothing gained or accepted in this life can give you, I'll say this way, real satisfaction or fulfillment. And this was the conclusion that Solomon came to later in his life after gaining everything, more, it said, than anybody else ever had. So imagine, put yourself in a spot, maybe you're a person who's accomplished a lot, and maybe in your family, you have more than anybody else has ever had. And at the end of his life, he sat there and he was empty. And he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. So flip in your Bible now to the book of Ecclesiastes. It's after Proverbs, Psalm, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. We're going to look at what he wrote this, remember, this is the wisest man ever given the wisdom of God who had more money and you're going to see more everything than anybody. And we're going to look at his, at his conclusion about it. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, starting in verse 1, we're going to read down to verse 11. Today we're going to read some larger sections of Scripture. I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure. He's writing about, he's talking to himself. So enjoy yourself. And behold, it was too was futility. I said of laughter, it is madness, and of pleasure, what does it accomplish? I explored with my mind how to stimulate my body with wine, while my mind was guiding me wisely, and how to take hold of folly until I could see what good there was is for the sons of men to do under heaven the few years of their lives. I engaged islands and parks for myself, I built houses for myself, I planted vineyards for myself, I made gardens and parks for myself, I planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made ponds of water for myself from which I irrigate a forest of growing trees. I, brought, I bought male and female slaves and I had home-born slaves and I also possessed flocks and herds larger than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. Also, I collected for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I provided for myself male and female singers and the pleasures of men, many concubines. Then I became great and increased more than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also stood by me. All that my eyes desired, I did not refuse them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart was pleased because of all my labor, and this was my reward for my labor. Thus I considered all my activities, which my hands had done and labored, which I had exerted, and behold, all was vanity in striving after wind, and there was no profit under the sun. We'll stop right there. That's kind of sobering. He tried, what do you say? Laughter, wine, vineyards, parks, planting forests, all the possessions, farms, silver, gold, many concubines, many women, wisdom, and any and all pleasure, and any and all accomplishments. And in the end, he said it was vanity. It was striving after wind. Um, In one place, he says this. He said, I earned all this. I gained all it just to die and leave it to a bunch of fools. Because that's the end of it. Because that's the reality of what really happens. And there is such an important lesson here. People, even the wisest person ever, generally believe a lie. And this is a lie. That things of this life can and will satisfy us on earth. Solomon went after what I call, some other people do, the big three. He went after the big three with all his might. You say, what are the big three? This is from a male perspective. 
gold, girls, and glory. That's what he went after. I remember my, a Bible college professor in, in Louisiana going to Bible college, and he told us about the big three, gold, girls, and glory, and how they will be the things if you're going to crash and burn in life, your pursuit of them will make you crash and burn. Solomon's life is all about that. He went after the big three. The things that people think will bring them satisfaction. Money, possessions, stuff, gold, relationships, sex. Girls are for girls, boys. Um, and, um, and glory, fame and power, respect from others. Solomon had all of them more than anyone else ever has and he ended up in his own soul feeling empty. He's like, it's worthless. So it's interesting that we humans never seem to learn this lesson that Solomon's trying to teach us, this pillar he's giving us to form our life upon. In fact, these three things that we, are the things that we so often go after with all of the might and all of the energy of our lives, a lot of times right till the end. And a lot of times they're a trap that leads us to ruin in the end. Think of any big-name person that you know that has come crashing down in the last couple of years. There's a lot of examples of big-name pastors of the biggest churches in America. There's also captains of industry and everything else and just influential people. You know them. You've heard of them. You might live next to them. What destroyed them? The big three. Affairs, sex scandals, embezzlement, greed, pride, power. Those are the things that destroy people. These are the things that bring people down, but understand this, church. Yet these are the very things that most people, at least in our culture, spend the majority of their life energy trying to accomplish, and they give all of their passions to. What a gift from Solomon to us. For him to show us through his life to know that in advance of trying to go down that path, that none of that will actually really bring you satisfaction. To know that spending our lives trying to gain these things, he's saying is really a waste of time when you come to the end. That it's a gift of giving ourselves to what really will satisfy is what he gives. He said, this won't, but what will? And we will satisfy. That what will satisfy is a life of union with God, a life of being in Christ, where the pursuit of God is honestly our greatest passion, where that is the number one thing we go after. And I'll tell you, friends, if you're serving the Lord now for over 40 years, it's, it is a pursuit. It's a falling, dying to myself and a pursuing God and, and it gets richer as time goes on and sometimes it gets more challenging too because God exposes us to things that we're, we couldn't handle when we were younger. But it's the only thing that brings satisfaction. So Solomon gives us this great pillar to build our lives upon. He says, listen, if you're going to give your life to the big three, just understand you're going to end up like me at the end. You're going to write your version of Ecclesiastes that says it's just a bunch of vanity and you're upset and it's a waste of time and you're going to go, I spent my whole life climbing this ladder and you got to the top of the ladder and you realized it was against the wrong wall. That's what he's saying. He's saying, so don't give your life. He's trying to give us a warning and a gift. Go after things that are more important. And what's more important? It's love in Jesus. And we're going to see more about that as we go today. That's the first big pillar we get from Solomon. What's the next one we learn from Solomon? It's this. 
It's that, and these are all tied together. It's that the little things are important. The little things are important. In Song of Solomon, Solomon is writing about his love affair with a woman. And in that description, he uses this phrase in, 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 a, um, in one of the points he's writing about his, his love for the woman. He says, the little foxes that are ruining the vineyard. And you're like, why is he writing about vineyards when he's writing about a love affair? He's, he's, he's making a point. It's a reference to the little things, like in this case, a little tiny fox, that can bring damage to the vines of the vineyard and cause them not to produce fruit. It focuses, it focuses on the little things in our lives that if left unattended will cause great damage in the long run. It will cause damage in our relationships. In this case, he's talking about his relationship with the, with the Shulamite woman. But it will cause damage in life in general. These little things, if unattended, that can be like a little fox gnawing at the vine. The vine looks fine right now, but eventually as they eat the bark off and kill the vine, the vine will die. The little things, it's the small foxes, little foxes that ruin the vineyard. This understanding is another one of the great gifts that Solomon gives us. And it's one we can learn from him, again, through his failure. You see, Solomon started out great. 1 Kings 3.3 says, Now Solomon loved the Lord, walking in his statutes, in the statutes of his father David. But through the years, Solomon's desire to walk with God began to falter. Now I want us to look at that. So flip back again, back to 1 Kings, so near the beginning of your Bible. This time to chapter 11. So I want you to see for yourself what the Lord is saying about Solomon so we can learn this lesson. So 1 Kings chapter 11, we're going to read four verses here, verses 1 through 4. Look what it says about Solomon here. Now King Saul, Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, that was one of his wives, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sodomite, Hittite women from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to sons of Israel, you shall not associate with them, nor shall you associate with them associate with you, for they will surely turn your heart away after their gods. And Solomon held fast to these in love. He had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned his heart away. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away after other gods, and his heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord his God, as, his, as the heart of David his father had been. Solomon could have anything he wanted in this world. And he was wise. He knew that some of those things could cause him harm. He knew what God had said. Yet I believe probably because of pride. And we all suffer from this. He said, yeah, 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 those rules are good, but I know better. He said, you know what, I can handle it. You know what, I can have, I have whatever I want. I got 700 wives and 300 um, mistresses, basically, concubines. It's a harem that he had back in, that, in a Near East culture. Do I'm the greatest, I'm smart. Said, I can manage all this. I can have all this and still do what I know I'm supposed to do. I'm the greatest, I'm smartest, I'll be fine. The Bible says this, pride goeth before a fall. And it was his pride that was his problem. And began to make compromises, little foxes. Little compromises. He began to take foreign wives and concubines. He says hundreds of them here. And he accommodated, this is what it says though, he accommodated their false 
types of worship. And it says, in his old age, they turned his heart away from God. Little by little, Solomon turned from what was right and best to what would harm him and would eventually destroy the kingdom. Because we see, if you read the history from Scripture, that after his death, this unified kingdom was shattered. It was broken apart, never to be united again. And destruction followed. Little by little, Solomon walked from God and not only hurt himself, but he hurt God's kingdom. He didn't pay attention to the little things. Friends, what we can learn from Solomon is that the little things are important. No one wakes up one day and says, you know what, I think I'm going to ruin my life. Nobody just one day says, I think today, the sixth day of March 2022, I'm going to ruin my life or I'm going to walk away from God today. Nobody says that. No, it's a gradual series of choices. That's how marriages are ruined. You want to know how to ruin a marriage? It starts so innocently. It starts with the person at work. It starts with the person across the street. So innocently, the jokes that are maybe a little off-colored with that person. That's not your wife or your husband. The little bit of, of, of innocent flirting that goes on. Maybe it's the arranging your schedule so you just happen to be in the same place at the same time. Because that person makes you happy. And little by little, we walk closer and closer to the edge until one day we fall over the edge. And this is what they say, and I've heard it in my office more times than I can count. Pastor, it just happened. It never just happens. No, it didn't just happen. It was a long series of wrong choices over the long haul of not paying attention to the little things. It's always about the little things. The big things are simply the accumulation of a whole bunch of little things. The way to not fall over the edge is you don't take the first step, which then leads to the second step and the third step and the hundredth step that eventually puts you over the edge. You know the temptation or the compromise that comes into your life? I don't know what that is. But the lesson from Solomon is this. Don't take the first step. Solomon, don't take the first foreign wife. God told you in his word clearly do not do that. There were, there were scores of women in, in, in Israel. He, he, he could have had any one of them. He proved he literally could have any one. He could take Uriah the Hittite's wife because she was beautiful and he saw her bathing and he could take her and kill her husband and stay king. He could have anybody he wanted but it wasn't exotic enough for him. No, I want the one from Egypt. And I want the one from Edom. And I want the one from here and from here and from here. And you know, it all made sense to him because what historians believe is the reason he did that, every one of those was a political alliance. But hey, now I'm getting money. Now I'm getting security for my kingdom. And he's saying, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm getting rich. I'm getting powerful. But what he's doing is slowly making bad choices. Little foxes were eating away at the vines. And eventually those women turned his heart from God. So what do we do? We, we learn from Solomon, we don't take the first step. We guard especially the little thing. We guard, we, we act with integrity towards the small things. And if we do that, we don't have big things that will destroy our lives. So we learn this lesson. And if we learn this lesson from Solomon, it will save you from a life of pain and heartache. So we need to learn this lesson. Again, from his error, thank God that he puts imperfect people in Scripture because we can learn how we don't have to do the same thing. So that's the second thing. Let's look at the third one. Again, all tied together here. The last one is this. 
how you finish matters most. How you finish matters the most. It's great that Solomon started life well. A 15-year-old king so wise that other kings came just to learn from him. And it's great that he built the beautiful temple of God. It was awesome and people worshiped there. And it's great that he brought prosperity um, and affluence to Israel. That's great. But yet he didn't pay attention to the little things. And accommodated flumpish came to nothing. Foreign wives, and here's the reality, all he accomplished came to nothing. The kingdom was divided. The Lord said the only reason he didn't divide it while Solomon was still alive was to honor his father David. He said, I'm not doing this for you. I'm doing it because I made a promise to David. I love David. He didn't reject me. And so I'm not going to do it till after you're dead, Solomon. But the kingdom is gone. It was divided. It would never be united again. The temple, what happened to that beautiful temple? It was destroyed by invading armies. And all that money he that he stored for himself carried away by invading forces, took it all. He said, get it all, and a fool will take it away from you in the end. All that he worked so hard for meant nothing in the end, and really why? Because he threw it all away. What a sad and painful ending for the wisest, richest, most powerful man that had ever lived and maybe ever has lived outside of Jesus, as far as wise. He didn't finish well, and that is just such a sad commentary. But what can we take for it from that? What can we learn? What pillar can we establish our lives upon? It's this. Live your lives with an eye on the ending. Not on today. We live in today. But live your life with an eye on the ending. And let's say this, and I mean this with all my heart and don't laugh. I mean, you can laugh because you might think it's funny. Live so I don't have to lie at your funeral. I have to lie at funerals sometimes. A lot of times I get to tell the truth. But sometimes I have to lie at a funeral. And you say, oh, what a wonderful person. Or I try to say nothing at all. Live in such a way that the pastor doesn't have to lie at your funeral. Because they had to lie at Solomon's funeral. Oh, the great King Solomon. Look at all he did. And they're all going, yeah, no, he screwed it up so bad the kingdom is destroyed. The temple's going to go down. His money's, his money's shot. What did he really gain by all of it? Live in such a way that the pastor doesn't have to lie at your funeral. We don't have to be rich to finish well. Money's not bad. Money is good. I'm glad we have a lot of resources here because guess what? We can do great good with them. We can help our fellow man. We can help Ukraine with our resources. We can help our children. We can help our neighbors. We can help all kinds of resources are great. But they're not to be pursued greater than our pursuit of God. So you don't have to be rich to finish well. You don't have to be powerful to finish well. You don't have to have, um, you know, the accolades of people to finish well. Really, the key to finishing well is to continually be an extension of God's love to those around us. So when we are done, others aren't fighting over our money, but rather they're crying because we will be so greatly missed at whatever holidays come in next. Spend your life living in God's love and giving that love away because that's all that matters in the end. And I want to show you that's exactly what Solomon concluded. Flip back to Ecclesiastes for the last time. Look at the very last words recorded by the wisest man ever in history that we know outside of Jesus. And look what he wrote. The very last words. Chapter 12 of Ecclesiastes, verses 13 and 14. The conclusion. 
when all has been heard is this. Fear God and keep his commandments because this applies to every person, rich or poor, famous or not. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or it is evil. Those are the final words from the richest, wisest man who ever lived, the man whose heart was filled with regret. What's he say? Fear God. When you read Proverbs, and I hope Proverbs 6, or at least tomorrow, Proverbs 7 will be your choice. And you're going to see over and over he makes a statement. When he's living in the middle years, when, he's, when his wisdom is serving him well, and he's not, sacri- he's not at least reaped the reward yet of his bad choices. Um, he often, often says this, um, the fear of, the, a fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. What's he mean? He says, a shudder and fear of God? No. He's talking about this holy respect. This respect that says, you are God, I am not. Your way is right, my way is not, if my way and your way don't line up. And I'm going to choose to go God's way. Just think if Solomon would have done that with the woman. God said, my way is this, don't take the foreign wives, they will hurt you in the end. Solomon said, yeah, but I love all, the, I love all of the, uh, the excitement. Because he didn't line up with God. God's way is this way, Solomon's way is that way. Ended up being Solomon's demise. Because he didn't line up with God. So it says, fear God. Respect God. Put God in his place of prominence in your life. And then what? Keep his commandments. And Jesus summed his entire commandments up in basically two thoughts. Love God and love others. Love God, love your neighbor. That, you want to know how to end well? It's not very complicated. Right on your hand. Today my mission is love God, love others. With all your resources, all your energy, love God, love others. And Solomon is letting us know if we do that, we will end well. And my final thought is this. Ending well begins today. Ending well is not about the day that the table's spread out in the front of the church right here and your picture's on there and, or, the ca- or the casket is here. Ending well starts today. The decisions we make today not let the little foxes spoil the vine. To not go after the wrong things, the big three. You know, ending well starts today. Let's pray together. Father, um, Lord, it would have been a lot easier in this pillar series to pick someone that was just all fun from the Old Testament. And it could have. We've looked at David and celebrated his victories and but Lord, I really believe you love us so much that I believe in my heart of hearts you directed me to spend this 30 minutes talking about Solomon and what we can learn from him. And Lord, a lot of what we learn is this big life stuff. It's like, how do you structure your, the big things? How do you structure your direction? How do you, how do you navigate even keep the small things so the big things um, don't go awry? These are like, how do we, we have things we think about, things we have to make decisions about. And Lord, I think you love us so much. And you, I think you know that we live in this place like, kind of like Solomon had with affluence. And we're tempted in the same ways and you love us so much to warn us now. And I'm glad that so many of us, I think, get these ideas and we're walking in them and we rejoice in that. But today, let it be a reminder to our soul. A reminder to our soul today that 
just says, you know what? I want to be, I, I want to live right. I want to make good decisions today and I want Solomon's example to, to be the example of what I don't want. So Lord, help us learn from the wisdom that you gave to Solomon. Help us build our lives upon your truth. And Lord, I pray this. Show us where we need to change direction in our lives if we need to change. And I think we all probably do all the time. I do. Holy Spirit, just right now, just the quietness of this moment, maybe point something out in our lives out of love that if it's not addressed, it will cause pain, it will cause hurt. You don't want us to live in pain and hurt. It'll cause hurt to other people. You don't want our lives to hurt other people. You want to rescue us from that. So in your loving kindness, speak, Lord, to our hearts right now. Point out anything that that we could surrender over to you. take those things and we offer them back to you. We say, God, we say in honesty, a lot of times we don't know any better. We're simply living by the the, uh, structure that our society has given to us. But Lord, you offer a better way. A way of joy a way of real fulfillment, a way of true riches in our soul, and a way of being a blessing in this place today around us. So God, I pray for everyone in this place today. Everyone in this place today. I pray that the wisdom of Solomon and the failures of Solomon would guide us. So that not one in this place, if there, if we're on roads and we all can be on roads that can lead to a cliff, that you would rescue us, you'd point it out, you'd give us a vision of where we're headed, and we go, I don't want that. And you'd turn us right to your heart. Thank you for that, Jesus. I invite you to stand with me this morning. I just want to pray a blessing over you. So glad you're able to come and to worship and partake in communion and, and listen to God's word. Pray a blessing over you. And I say when we're done, if you would like to pray up here, myself, other, some other people will be here to pray with you, we'd gladly pray with you. If you want to stay in your chair and spend some time praying and just talking to God about maybe something He laid on your heart, I encourage you to do that. Then when you feel dismissed by the Holy Spirit, just, just make your way out to the cafe and have fun hanging out with your church family out there. But in here, we just want to make this a place of prayer, a place of being honest before God. Let me pray this blessing over you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. 
May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you, my friends.